Hi, this is Steffi and welcome to The Financial Fox. We often talk about investment, stock, shares, cryptos, and I also have lots of interviews with entrepreneurs, so like building a business and creating a project and all of that. But we don't talk much about strategies to keep making money to grow and strive. So I thought I should invite here an expert to discuss this, and here we are with the cash flow expert, Chris Miles, founder of Money Ripples. He defines himself as the anti-financial advisors, and together we are going to find out why. But before we get into this conversation with Chris, first of all, if you are not subscribed to our YouTube channel, click the subscribe button now and follow us on social media to stay up to date with our news and interviews. And second, a few words about our sponsor, Green Gage. Green Gage provides e-money accounts for small and medium-sized enterprises, high net worth investors and digital assets firms. They leverage the latest technologies, including blockchain, to unlock new funding and liquidity, a game-changing for many SMEs, which are fundamentally underserved by traditional financial services. As a client of Green Gage, you will have a dedicated relationship manager, yes, a real person who will listen and getting started with Green Engage is easy. Trust me, I've gone through the process myself and it's been really simple and quick. So if you are seeking a more personalized experience in managing your accounts in the digital space, I generally encourage you to check out Green Gage. And here is a little bonus for you, my wonderful listeners. Use the code FOX10 when signing up to enjoy a 10% on the first year's fee on corporate accounts only. The link is in the description, so take a moment to explore what Green Gage has to offer. Now, back to the show. Hi, Chris, how are you? Wonderful, Steffi, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Okay, so shall we start with a quick introduction? Tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, so you probably mentioned like I'm the anti-financial advisor, right? <laughs> Meaning that I definitely don't teach people to do the same old stuff money in mutual funds, save it forever, spend nothing and sacrifice and, and suffer your entire life to hopefully have something someday. Um, that's not me. Um, but I, I used to be that guy. I used to be the financial advisor, but I've since repented. I've, uh, I've turned, you know, turned the corner and done something different. Interesting story with me is that I was, I was not raised to know a lot about money. My, the only thing my dad taught me was to save everything, spend nothing, right? That was pretty much the advice that I was given is be cheap and save all the money you can. Well, that works so far. And, and it got me to where I was eventually in college, where the first business I was looking to start was actually becoming a business, was being a financial advisor. And uh, I didn't realize it was that easy becoming a financial advisor because all you have to do really is to not be a criminal and be able to pass a test. And that's what I did. I passed the test and I wasn't a criminal. So I was able to become a financial advisor. And really they just train you to sell things, right? They, train you, they teach you on the indoctrination of saving in mutual funds, put it away forever, set it and forget it, right? Well, after doing that for several years, my dad then reached out to me and said, Chris, when are you gonna become my financial advisor? Now I'd never seen his finances before because he never shared his finances. But I sat down with him and you know, he was 61 years old. He says, Chris, I'm 61. I want to retire. I'm tired of this life. I want out. And, uh, and I mean, he had already had several heart attacks and strokes by this point because his work was literally killing him. 
So I wanted to give him an answer. I wanted to give him a way out. And as I sat down with him, I looked at all of his money. He had paid off all of his debt. He was debt free. He had saved in his 401ks, his retirement plans for a long time. And so you would think because he did everything right, that this would mean he could retire. Wrong. I said, Dad, if you want to retire today, you better hope you die in five years because that's how long your money's going to last you. He said, well, what do I do then? And I said, I don't know. You did everything right from what I teach as a financial advisor. You did everything. I, I, I can't give you anything else that wouldn't be possibly gambling your money away in markets and things like that. And that bugged me. That bugged me a lot because part of the reason I became a financial advisor is because I wanted to give him his life back and only to find out that I couldn't give him any answers. Well, long story short, a few weeks later, I'm talking with one of my one of my friends. I actually hired him to be a financial advisor, but then he quit to go do investing on his own. He went to be a real estate investor. And he told me, he said, Chris, I'm making lots of money now. In fact, my dad has doubled his income as a professor at the local university. He's doubled his income in just the last four or five months. And I said, that's too good to be true, no way. And understand that even at that time, I was actually teaching people on the side. I was actually a stock coach. I was teaching people how to trade stocks and options in the market. And still, I was like, that's impossible. No way. And finally, he just stopped me. He said, Chris, how many of your clients are financially free where they don't worry about money? I said, well, none. They all worry about money. They all worry about at least running out of money. Even if they're retired today, they still worry about running out of money. Okay, Chris, how about this? How many of you guys as financial advisors are financially free not off the commissions, but actually doing these in mutual fund investments. Because if anybody has this figured out, it should be you. And as I thought about the people that were in my office, I realized, well, none of them. Because there's even guys working here since the late 1970s that still can't retire, even though they're at retirement age. And he said, there is your problem. And that got me journeying down a different path of alternative invest investments, looking outside the traditional path of mutual funds and insurances, and instead looking more at investing on our own. And Lo and behold, later that year, as I, as I pretty much quit being a financial advisor and I went to do this instead, I was able to retire myself when I was 28, almost 29 years old with having enough passive income to pay my bills. And that blew my mind that that was even possible because I was hoping I could save and penny pinch everything to retire by the time I was 40 if I were lucky and the market smiled at me just right. But instead, I was able to do it much, much faster by doing the opposite of what I was taught as a financial advisor. So what is the trick to be financially independent? The trick is to get enough income coming in that pays for your monthly bills without you having to work so hard for that, right? That's the key. Um, for example, you know, so there are some people out there that they'll say they're, they're investors, right? They'll say that they have passive income, but in truth, they just have another business. They're a slave still to their investment strategy. Uh, I see this in the real estate space all the time where someone might be, a house flipper. They stop to go and renovate the house and turn the property over to flip it. That's not passive income. That's active income, right? That's It's good income, but it's not passive. You get other people that say, well, I do wholesale. No, that's a business, right? You have a business where you're transacting real estate. That's not passive income. For me, if I can take my money and I can go lend it out to a real estate investor to do for them to do all the work, and I just get paid interest like on the bank, that's passive. If I can buy a property where I don't property manage it and somebody else does all the work, that's more passive, right? That's what I mean is that you get your money working harder for you so you don't have to work so hard for money. And the key is how do you get your money to start kicking off regular, stable, predictable income each and every month, quarter, year, that kind of thing where it can pay for your bills. So if you, if you spend $10,000 a month, how do you get enough passive income to equate to at least 10,000 a month 
So now you're work optional. You work because you want to, not because you have to. That's the real key. Yeah, that's very interesting because people always think about we want to, you know, you want to make more money and, you know, you get sucked into different kind of investment. And then obviously there are the financial advisors. They tell you, oh, you need to diversify your portfolio. You need to do that and that. Mm-hmm. But actually, really sitting down, looking at your finance and see how should I actually structure my, how would say, if you, can we say structure your investment yeah. in a way? Your portfolio, your investments. Yeah. So, so give us some example of uh, some successful, you, it can be even your personal example if you want, or some clients that you have worked with, they managed to uh, have a very successful uh, organized portfolio that they could have a very good lifestyle. Uh, mm-hmm. and at the same time, they were building up for the future of their family, because this is one of the things that people think about. It's not just about your own life, but it's also about, you know, what about if I've got a family I need to save for my kids' school, for uh, education, for example. Exactly. Yeah, one example that comes right to mind is just because she uh, recently uh, mentioned just a few weeks ago, I had a client where you know she, she had roughly about $650,000 she could invest her goal was she wanted about seven to eight thousand dollars a month, right? And so, you know, we worked with her for the last year, a little over a year, year and a half now. And uh, for her, like, it was all locked up in like mutual funds and things like that, right? It was just money sitting there. And the problem with mutual funds, like from the traditional financial planning standpoint, is that whatever you have in your mutual funds or your retirement accounts, you should only pull out no more than three percent. Right, especially if you don't want to run out of money. They used to say 4%, but the problem is that even 20 years ago when I was a financial advisor, we were even questioning if that number were too high, was too high. And now they've already debunked it. So really, you have 3%. So even say somebody has a million dollars, if you live on 3%, that's only $30,000 a year. So for her, $650,000, 3% was only $20,000 a year. Well, she wanted more than that. She wanted at least $7,000 a month. So instead, we got her money out of prison, and we got it into moving into other investments. And so some investments she chose, like she, she chose a little bit with her on the rental property side, um, but she did a lot more with like lending money. Uh, she did some projects, uh, even some like in the oil and gas space, some in the real estate space. Um, and so she got her money out there and used uh, to the point where now it's, it kicked off just over what she needed for her monthly expenses, which was 7000 a month. And, uh, and that was kind of her goal. Uh, another client, uh, his name is Dan. It's interesting because uh, a lot of people talk about, oh, if I had a pension, it'd be fine. Well, he was in the military. He had a pension, but he knew it wasn't fine. And he actually had, he was fortunate enough to save a million dollars in his retirement account. Funny thing, he actually avoided Y2K, the crash in Y2K, and he avoided the Great Recession crash with his stock market. Of investments. Both times he just happened to pull money out of the market right before it crashed. So so he actually beat the odds, right? He was almost like a trader accidentally, you know? And so he moved the money out, had actually a million dollars in his retirement account, and of course the financial advisor said, "Good, you can pull out 30,000 a year. Not good enough." And so he actually went and he invested, he bought a few duplexes. He actually, um, with a property manager that he doesn't have to property manage himself, uh, he actually put quite a bit in the oil and gas investment. He actually got in some real estate apartments and things like that, that he shared ownership with other investors in. It's called a syndication. So he did that. And uh, all said and done, his 30,000 a year that the financial advisor said he could live on now turned into $130,000 a year with that million dollars. 
And his goal was really just 10,000 a month. And now he's more like closer to 11,000 a month. So that's, that's the difference, right? It's, it's taking money that normally you think you just try to accumulate a bunch of money and then you live on less than the interest. But instead, how can you get that golden goose, that, that money, get it to start laying some really big golden eggs that kick off regular income without touching your principal, without touching the cash that's there? So the great thing is with all these investments, he still has his million dollars of cash that's available, right? He still has that money that he could get out of those investments, pull his money back out. But it's kicking off income for him while in some cases even growing that income as he's seen appreciation on some of his investments. It's interesting. I have got a question here about managing risk because Mm. you're talking about lending money and I understand that, but it is obviously more risk in just than just keep them in a mutual fund, for example. And also, it's not that each individual is expert and know all different uh, you know, industries and way to invest. So you still need to be followed by somebody that give you advice in a way. So how you can minimize risk and how you could know what is the best venue to allocate your resources and in which form. Yeah, it's, it depends on the situation, what your goals are, right? Obviously. So for example, um, some of our clients want more growth, some want more passive income, and some want both. And every investment or every deal is different. Now, to kind of answer your question, I mean, there's risk with everything, right? We know that. Uh, the reason why I, I prefer investing in real assets like real estate is because they actually have some intrinsic value where a stock, you know, like if I buy Tesla stock, it could crash. In fact, Tesla stock should crash. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> that, that, that thing's way overvalued. But, uh, but, you know, like there's not that control, that sense of control, right? You're really just riding waves. You, don't, you can't like go into that investment and say, you know, what, I'm going to make that worth more. Where with real estate, Sometimes you can make adjustments or, or even make improvements on a property if you want to. I'm not saying usually we don't do that, but you could to help it generate more income, right? So it's it's very it's more formulaic than than just you know guessing or gambling in a sense. Yeah. But uh, that being said, especially like you said, if you're lending money out, if you get involved where there's other people involved, like buying a real estate property is one thing, and that's that's great. If you buy a real estate property, you just need to make sure you have a really good property manager. And that eliminates most of your worries, right? Uh, even up front, doing due diligence, like a home inspection reports before you buy it. So if it doesn't meet the report, if it doesn't meet the requirements that you want for a property, you back out. You don't do it, right? Um, it's even nicer when you can even have a renter in that property before you close on the property. So then you know you have a certain amount of income you can predict and you know exactly your profits going into the deal. But with lending, for example, if you lend money to an investor or you, you invest with a, like a syndication where you pool your money with other investors to say buy an apartment or to buy self-storage units or to go into like the oil, like an oil and gas space or something like that, and not the drilling part of it, but just um, getting the royalties from, from the drilling, you know, you can do that kind of stuff. But in that case, it's very important to know who, who you're investing with more than just what you're investing in. So I like to find operators, investment operators that have been in the business for at least 15 years. Even better if they've been in for 20 or 30 years, because I want to know I have somebody that's investing my money that they've been through recessions. They've been through like the last recession, for example. They know how to weather that storm. They've been through full market cycles and back out again. Um, it's kind of like what I learned when I was a stock trader before. You know, learning the ups and the downs of the market got me to understand a lot more how to play the market when I was doing that. But if I can find an operator that knows almost like that investment, like the back of their hand, 
Like they know it so well, they can do it with their eyes closed almost. That's the person I would trust more with my money. Even though it's not guaranteed, they're much more likely to come out successful on the other end because of that good track record. So that's yeah. what I look for. I look for that track record. I look for the terms of, of the agreement, you know, of that contract that you have with them. Um, there's, there's just so many ways to do it. And then when you design it, then we just focus on, is it cash flow or growth or both? So uh, for example, yesterday someone was asking me, he said, Chris, I've got a lot of rental properties, right? I've got a lot of rental properties and, and they're cash flowing decently, but it seems like now with the rental properties, they're not as strong cash flow because of those higher interest rates. So what do I do? I said, well, if you're wanting cash flow, if you want more growth, the real estate properties still are a safer way to go and they can grow a lot more because you get four rates of return when you buy an investment property because you get not just the, the cash flow from the profit of the rent, but you also have appreciation. You also have renters paying down your mortgage for you and you have tax advantages, right? You can pay little to no taxes on those properties. But I said, you're looking more for cash flow. If that's the case, maybe you should look more in the lending space, you know, where you get a contractual rate of return of like 10, 12 plus percent, where they contractually pay you that much interest. I said, you might look at that direction instead of just always putting more into buying a property that may not cash flow as strong. Because he said cash flow was his weakness. Therefore, we look that route. If someone's saying, you know what? I had one woman who said, I don't care about cash flow right now. I just want my money to grow and I want tax advantages. Okay, great. Well, then maybe some of these properties would be good. And she's like, well, I've got some properties. I don't need any more. I said, okay, good. Well, let's look maybe in the oil and gas space. Or maybe we look at some of these other investments as well. So where there might be some tax advantages or breaks that you get from those deals. So that's that's pretty much how you can design it and customize it just to your own situation. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, going back to the stock market, mm -hmm. uh, what are your thoughts about dividend stocks? I think stocks, I mean, it's fine if you're willing to play the game. Uh, here's what I learned when I was a stock coach, right? Um, it was interesting because I coached about 200 people how to trade stocks and options. And I even taught them very safe methods. You know, I would do things like, you know, we talked a lot about covered calls, but we even talked about like married puts, right? Where you buy the stock, but you buy the put option, like a small position to put option, just in case it goes down, you can still make money to offset the loss. Despite that, only a handful of people still made money when I wasn't keeping them accountable. If I kept them accountable every week, they were doing great. But when I stepped, when I wasn't, I was no longer coaching them and they're on their own, left to their own vices. It's amazing how the few that actually kept making money were those that actually loved the game. They loved it whether they made money or not. The ones that needed to make money never made money. The ones that didn't care if they made money or not made money. <laughs> and that's what I noticed. And so only a handful of people actually made good returns afterwards. So it's, it's, it's great. And, and by the way, if, if, I, if you can play both directions of the market, awesome. Definitely not an easy strategy to do all the time and in all market conditions. Sometimes you have to pull out the cash, you know, even if you, because you can't short it, you can't go long. You're like, it's kind of in the middle. It's trendless. It makes it harder, but there's always something going on. But here's the one thing that I do see that's missing in the stock market that um, even I've had guys that actually sell coaching programs, selling, you know, for like a guy's an options coach. He sells his options trading program. And then he came to me privately to hire us. And he did that because he said, Chris, listen, like, yeah, I spent half hour, hour or so a day just with my trades and, and managing them. But honestly, I want money coming in that I don't have to do anything for. Like, how do I actually get real passive income? Because he made good money in the market, but he didn't have that, those passive streams of income coming in regardless of the markets. Um, and so that's where we try to diversify more. And so it's, that's why I tell people, it's like, you know, market, stock markets, you can make good money there. Can you make as much long-term as you would in real estate? If you do real estate correctly, no. 
Um, real estate will still win. Uh, even when you look long-term at traders and stuff, and, and I've known some of the best traders out there. I mean, if you're a good trader, you make 20 or 25% a year, you're, you're in the top 1% or less of traders. Uh, in real estate, I usually make at least 40, 50% a year you know, with a good property like that. So, um, and with that leverage, because I can, I can do more than this, like what I did with trading on margin with stocks, I could trade on margin, make some money, but I could also lose money too. With, with real estate, I can use debt, you know, legally easily use debt and make higher rates return. That's why I can make higher rates return because that leverage, if I didn't have that leverage component, then it's pretty competitive. Stocks and real estate could compete with each other, depending on which one you do better. Um, and you can use them as an edge exactly i I, you just mentioned that and i wanted to go on that because we live in a society in an economy that is built on that and uh, i remember you know i grown up in a family where my dad was always taking debt always always Mm. taking mortgages on you know you do a business then you take more money out and you build up that way but you are always struggling to pay you know because you have got so much debt always What's the best way to use that on your advantage without being, you know, using the right way? What would be your answer? Profit. It always comes down to profit, right? How do you have profit? And it's got to be in things that you can control more. You know, you got to have this control. Like in a business, it could be a good thing to use debt in business. If, if, (laughs) if you know where it's going and you can predict what kind of returns you can get from it. If not, if you're gambling with it or you're testing something out, I wouldn't use debt. I would use your own cash for that. And it's, it's like that with investing too, right? Like I, that's why, you know, I really didn't trade on margin when I used stocks. I did a little bit, but I was very, very careful. And I, and I really just, for the most part, I was, I didn't even like it <laughs> to be honest. Um, but like with real estate, like, for example, I mentioned like, a, let's say, for example, I bought a property in, in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, five years ago, that, that property, I put 20% of my cash on down. And then I used 80% of the cash by getting a mortgage with the bank. Now I knew right off the bat that then I, instead of paying $134,000 out of pocket, I could just put $32,000 down with closing costs to get the property. Now the other $100,000 I had to take out as a, as a mortgage, right? As I borrowed that, it was a little over a hundred thousand bucks, but the payment was after my property management fees and everything, it was over $300 less per month than what I was making on the rent. So I had a $300 profit above and beyond making that mortgage payment. So that made sense. Now, if it was flip-flopped, if I had to get a mortgage and I was going to lose $300 a month, that's a bad deal. Don't do that. So instead, I got the $300 a month profit. Now, even today, the thing is my mortgage has has been paid down. Now it's into the 90,000 range. Um, and that's appreciated too. that 134,000. Now it's worth about 210,000. So it's, now it's appreciated more. My mortgage has gone down. I got all this extra equity and the rent has been raised every single year with that tenant. So now I'm cash flowing about really about $650 a month, but, um, it's still, that's, that's above and beyond my payment. So my, my profits just keep increasing with that debt leverage. So that debt is good debt. It's only when you lose money, right? If you can't make more in profits than like really legitimately, like, you know, you can make more in profits than what is costing you on that debt. If you can't do that, then don't do it. Yeah, it's very interesting because you mentioned real estate. They are definitely a great investment if done right. Then you mentioned about royalty where the, that could apply to oil and gas, but also to mm. mining, uh, gold mines, for example, and different other uh, natural resource projects, which is also very interesting. And then you mentioned lending. W- what about the digital asset space and crypto? Uh, we mentioned the stock market, obviously, but what would be your approach 
to the crypto sphere. I definitely wouldn't borrow to go in the crypto space at all. You know, last year was interesting. I, I, had, I, was, I was having, you know, I had some crypto, crypto in my own portfolio. Now, I like to have, if I'm going to use things like crypto or stocks in my portfolio, I keep it as a minority share of my business, of, of my portfolio, just because I know that the government is going to try to do anything they can to screw us over, right? I don't know if I can say that on the air or not, but I'm just going to say it anyways. I don't care if the government's listening, but it's true. And I remember last uh, March of 2022, uh, I was listening to a crypto guy, you know, at a conference I was at, and he just said, "Guys, he's like, watch." And at that time, crypto was about fifty-five thousand, if you recall. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say crypto. I mean Bitcoin. Bitcoin was at fifty-five thousand. He says, "Guys, what's the purpose of the Feds, the Federal Reserve, and the government there?" And we all said, "Well, control inflation and interest rates." He's like, "Nope, that's not what they do. Their whole entire goal." is to protect the US dollar, to protect the value of the US dollar. If they see anything as a threat to it, they will squash it. And so he said, he's like, you know what's been happening? He's like, you've been seeing crypto, like Bitcoin go between you know, 45 to 65,000 lately. He's like, that's the feds buying up all the crypto right now. He's like, they already did it with gold. And you know, Goldman Sachs did it with gold. And gold's a much larger market than the crypto market. But Goldman Sachs did that. They had a billion dollar lawsuit because they manipulated the price of gold, right? He's like, they're doing the same thing to Bitcoin. He's like, watch, you will not see it go above 60,000. In fact, it will probably go down at this point. And, lo- and so at, later that week, I'm like, all right, I'm going to cash in some of my chips. So I, I cashed out some of my Bitcoin. It was right around 50,000 bucks. Um, and then, of course, just like he said, boom, it crashed, right? Came right back down. Now we're seeing Bitcoin hovering around that 29 to 30,000 level. And it seems almost like when it was so volatile, now it can't go anywhere. It's like almost as if what he said was true. Is that, Oh, maybe the Fed's actually are trying to control the price of it so that they can come in with their digital currency on the back end. So, so my thing is with crypto, if you're going to play the game, great, play the game, but just know that you are gambling, right? Just like I told all my stock trading students, you're still technically gambling. Even though you can do things to minimize risk, you never are risk-free. In fact, you're really just guessing is what you're doing. You don't know the future. So be careful. But that being said, it doesn't mean that it can't make a lot of money. So just be careful with it don't, and definitely don't leverage debt for something where it can easily be price controlled. That's why I don't tell people use, don't use debt to buy gold or silver. Even though I like gold or silver, don't do that. Like you gotta be careful. Use that more as an inflation hedge, but don't make that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make that the bulk of your portfolio because it can be easy come, easy go with your money. You're just out of control. You want more controls on your money than that. What's your uh, views on uh, Bitcoin? I mean, you mentioned about governments building their own uh, digital currency that is going to take ages. I mean, it's not something that is just going to come out and be, you know, great to use and all the system and infrastructure ready, everybody plugged mm-hmm. in. It's going to take some time. And obviously we have got there a digital asset that got more support. We have seen institution come into the space. I mean, there is a lot now um, ETFs as well. Mm-hmm. Where do you see Bitcoin going or, uh, you know, the, the role that is going to play in the future financial system? Yeah. Blockchain, digital currency, not going away. That is the future, right? Um, Bitcoin, like, I don't, I don't think Bitcoin's going to disappear either. But I do think that Bitcoin's not going to be the thing that we were hoping it would be. Because I remember being introduced to Bitcoin in 2010. And the whole purpose was because, you know, we already saw deflation. We already were you know, we had horrible trust of government and banks. Bitcoin was more like the, hey, let's let's stick it to the US dollar. Let's get out of it and let's go to Bitcoin, right? Um, I didn't buy in 2010. I should have, but I didn't because my problem with Bitcoin is the same problem that I have with the US dollar, which is it's still essentially kind of a fiat currency. It's not, it's not anything that has real tangible value other than what we give it, right? And so 
when I first saw Bitcoin and they explained to me, and they, they didn't talk about blockchain back then. It was just, hey, this is, this is like gold or silver. I was like, well, it's just another currency. You know, currencies can be manipulated. Currencies can go away. Um, it's just another currency. I do believe there's more to it than that. But um, I, I don't know if I would call it the future of digital currency. I think, of course, the U.S. The US is going to do everything they can to make the dollar, the digital dollar, more valuable, do anything they can to squash Bitcoin. Uh, that's my my personal opinion. Um, it can still be invested. You can still make money with it, I think. I think it could definitely go higher than where it is now. But uh, I don't think it's as big as what we were hoping it would be early on. Interesting. Well, anyway, you gave us some really good insight on how individuals should look at the mm -hmm. situation, become financially free, look in a different way to uh, earn passive income, how to look at the stock market, uh, you know, the real estate, lending, uh, you know, cryptocurrency as well, just be very cautious and royalties as well. That's a very interesting uh, space that people should, uh, should explore more. When it uh, comes down to investing in your own business, I mean, on, on the show, there are lots of entrepreneurs and founders in Web3 mm -hmm. or, you know, maybe in the tech space they decide at some point rather than investing in other people in other projects you know this is a reflection that many people especially when they are in their 30s or 20s um they say i'm gonna invest in my own things right and mm -hmm. uh, you know they need capital and sometimes you know you have got limited resources and you end up building a business model that is not sustainable i would like you to share some advice to those founders what's uh, a winning business model that you can base a successful and, um, you know, business that can actually work? Yeah, I think if you're a business owner, your business is your number one investment, right? I think that's because when I talk about having controls, be able to create, you know, leverage and returns, a business I think can even be better than real estate. Um, here's the trap you want to avoid if you're a business owner, though. Uh, I remember listening to a guy named Mike Michalowicz. He's the author of Profit First, which I think is a, a must-read book for any business owner. And uh, Mike was talking about reinvesting your business, right? We're always told reinvest in your business, reinvest in your business. I was just doing an interview earlier today where the guy said, well, Mr. Beast on YouTube, he says reinvest 100% in your business. I think that's dangerous and false. And the reason being is because although I get it, you can make more money in your business, you can drive up more revenue in your business. The real thing is you want profit. Profit is the number one focus of your business. Like that's, that's how you know your business is successful is if you have profit. But if you're always reinvesting all your money in business, you're not profitable. You're spending money. Therefore, there is zero profit. And that's what Mike Michalowicz was saying, profit first. is like, don't get caught in that entrepreneur trap where you're always reinvesting in your business and then you have no profit. Then you just create your own rat race. You create a bigger rat race. You And I, and, and I get it because there's guys, friends of mine in the real estate you know, business space, and they'll make millions and millions of dollars, sometimes tens of millions of dollars. And they'll post pictures about their Ferraris and their tester, you know, their Ferrari Testarossa and their Lamborghinis. They'll post pictures about them flying here or there, taking vacations. But they're slaves to their business. They are trapped because if that business were to shut down today, they would be just as broke as everybody else. The key is, is that you take some of those profits and then use it outside of your business to generate multiple streams of passive income. Do that outside of your business. That's where you create real freedom. That's where you become work optional, where you work in your business because you want to, not because you have to. And when you yeah. get to that place where you know you have enough passive income from your investments that are paying for your monthly bills, you make more powerful choices as a business owner. You make better decisions. 
You don't end up you know, getting desperate when things turn south, which inevitably there's going to be market shifts and changes. Or if the government decides to say, hey, we're going to shut down all quote-unquote non-essential businesses, and then you're non-essential according to them, that's stuff we want to avoid, right? We want to make sure that we are protected no matter what. The best way to create freedom in your life is create multiple streams of passive income by using your profits from your business outside of it. Still reinvest. Now, I don't say take all 100% of your profits. It's a balance of the two. You leave some money going back in your business to grow it, and you keep pulling out more and more profits all the time to then generate more and more passive income. So you've now got income coming from all directions. Like in my own life right now, between my business streams and my passive income streams, I've got about 16 different passive streams of income. That provides a lot of peace of mind for me because even when things might have, even if we have a bad month in the business, one, we got cash reserves, so that helps too. But two, I don't care. In fact, I don't, I don't even have to keep Money Ripples going. I am completely fine. If we shut down Money Ripples today, I would still have more than enough money coming in to cover my expenses and then some. still live a great lifestyle. But I'm driving this business because I know it helps and serves people, and that's, that's the real cause behind my business. I would love to see every business owner be in business because they know they're adding value in people's lives, they're serving people, and they're solving problems, and the business owner doesn't have to be there. They know that they're free. To do that regardless going on holiday for 48 weeks i think i was uh, listening at the tool of titans and yeah if you are able to switch off for such a long period of time your business can keep thriving and you're not going to come back broke i think that's then you learn about to build the system and build a business not to work in your business i think there was something like that it was very very good yeah that's that's a really good advice now any other secret that you want to share with us that could be useful for you know any individual or any business owner to make sure that you focus on cash flow positiveness yeah it, it really comes back to what does it actually pay you right month to month, what does it actually do? I'll tell you, I'll give you this, these last three pieces of advice really quickly is this something I've been saying, especially since 2020, because I, I know there's an impending recession that's got to happen, right? It just has to happen no matter what everybody's saying. In fact, the more that people say there's no recession coming, that's how I know there's probably a recession coming, right? Because it always surprises people, right? It's always a surprise. Well, the surprise is everybody's saying, oh, recession's over. We're good. Here's what I would say. These three pieces, these three tips is get lean, get liquid and get out. So get lean means if you're a business owner, just like I was saying, be profitable. Like how do you make sure you're only spending money on the things that generate more revenue that makes your business stronger in your personal life? Get rid of things that aren't serving you right now. I'm not saying cut your expenses where you live on rice and beans like crappy Dave Ramsey says, right? Don't do that. Instead, focus on what are the expenses that aren't serving me versus the ones that do bring joy into my life. Get rid of those unnecessary expenses, the unnecessary subscriptions that you don't even use. Maybe you don't go to the gym at all, but you're still paying for it. Get rid of it, right? You know, those kind of things. If you're not gonna, if you're not gonna use it, lose it, is my mantra. So get lean, make sure you have more profit coming in in the business and at home so you have extra cash to use to then do number two, get liquid. Liquid means don't lock your money away in places you can't get to it, right? Um, Many times you're taught in financial advice to put all this equity in your house, you know, pay off your debt in your house. Well, the problem is that say you get to the point where you only have a hundred thousand left on your mortgage and then you can't make the payments anymore because you're not liquid, right? You put all your money in equity. This is what I did in the last recession. I put a ton of money in equity thinking I can just get a cash out refinance of my mortgage if I need cash. I couldn't do that. 
And as things started tanking, and especially when I had business situation going on in the, in the great, in, during the Great Recession, I needed cash. I couldn't get it out of my house. And in fact, I eventually lost my house in foreclosure because guess who had the mortgage note? Lehman Brothers. They had my mortgage. They would not let me sell the house. So I actually had to foreclose on that property. So make sure you have the cash in hand. Don't trap it in you know, mutual funds or IRAs and 401ks where you can't get it out. Get liquid and then get that money out by investing in things that do produce passive income. Those things that actually bring in that money. That's the real key to success with, with anything financially. Brilliant. Those are great advice. Now, last uh, point. How important is um, balance in life in order to achieve those goals and, uh, you know, being able to uh, put together a system that gives you money. I think one aspect that lots many people don't talk about is, uh, you know, your well-being, your exercise, your meditation. I mean, you just talk about that, but, you know, not many people are actually merging the two conversations together. And I know that you, you know, you are into the space and the, to the athletic space. So uh, mm-hmm. tell us your views. How important is to get that balance? You got to have it. And, and maybe we, I wouldn't even use the word balance, but harmony, right? Like having that harmony in life. Because, uh, you know, for example, my spiritual life, like that's important to me. That's the thing that drives me in my business, actually, is that, that, that personal faith, that belief that I'm helping people become free. And when they're free, they can actually become a better servant for God, you know? So that spiritual thing is a big driver in my business. Health, like I actually became a marathon runner because every morning I made it a routine. I was always going to focus on the three, my, I call it the three E's, exercise, education, and enlightenment, right? Which is like your physical body, your mental health as well, and your education there, and as well as your, your, uh, your spiritual health too, right? And so I was doing that. I actually became a marathon runner. And I've noticed the more energy I have, the more health I have, the better producer I am in business, the more I show up for my family, the better I am in all things. So if, if I don't have that balance, that harmony in my life, I don't show up as a good husband and a father. I don't show up as a good business owner. And that affects everything. That affects ultimately your happiness. And that, isn't that what we're here for anyways, is that we're here to yeah. be happy and to see whom we can serve along the way. So you, doing those things you got to have if you want to become the best version of you each day. Chris, uh, that's, uh, that's brilliant. That just was the best way to end uh... Uh, this conversation. I couldn't think of anything else. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Finally, if anybody wants to reach out to you or check out what you do, where they can find you. Yeah, you can go to moneyripples.com. Thank you, Chris. It was great.